The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, I'm former Buffalo Bills wide receiver Don Beebe, and you're listening to Nate and the Fellas on Circling the Wagons podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. Because nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills. Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hey, Bills fans, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, what'd you guys think of that new intro for the podcast, by the way? Uh, big shout out to former Bills wide receiver Don Beebe for helping us out and uh, doing that for us. So we really appreciate it. Uh, but they, hey, you know, that's why he's the all time leading wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills in franchise history, right? And no, you don't need to look up that stat. It's true. And uh, that's what makes the podcast opening that much more special. And speaking of special, we have a great guest that I've been looking forward to having on our podcast ever since we started this venture back about three years ago. We are going to talk to none other than Bill's beat reporter Joe Biscalia of The Athletic. If you read Joe or have listened to Joe on WGR or his podcast, The Buffalo Beat, or followed his career as I have, you'll instantly realize that he's put a lot of thought and logic into everything he says and thinks. And this interview is no different. We discuss the beginning of Bill's training camp and our conversation ranges with everything from Sean McDermott sending the rookies home for virtual meetings after five positive COVID-19 tests. Uh, we discuss defensive tackle Starla Tulele opting out of the 2020 season and its impact on not only on the field positionally, but also the salary cap and what we can expect uh, with leftover money and w- what the actual money is left over. We talk about the potential impact of cutting defensive end Trent Murphy and what it can mean for re-signing Deion Dawkins and Matt Milano. We talk about the NFL adding six more practice squad spots with four of them being protected spots and some of the names Joe thinks might be part of those protected spots. We talk about uh, training camp battles positionally, which Sleepers Joe's looking forward to watching and seeing if they can make the roster. Uh, the Bills' biggest positional needs 
headed into training camp, thoughts on the offensive line and tight end depth, how the media coverage and availability will be affected by coronavirus, and thoughts on Brian Dable's offenses. And, you know, <laughs> their lack of success, to be quite honest, and see what he thinks of them. Is it is it really his offensive game planning and scheming, or is it lack of execution by the players on the Bills' offense? Now, keep in mind that we recorded this interview on Thursday afternoon last week, and a lot of things have happened since then. For example, cornerback EJ Gaines opted out for the 2020 season. Uh, but as my man Andrew on Twitter pointed out, he basically opted out for the 2018 and 2019 seasons, right? So anyways, I in general, I had a really good time talking to Joe B. And it was a fun conversation as I attempted to test his knowledge at times. But come on, let's let's be honest. We know I'm not winning that battle. So either way, it was a great time. And I hope it's something you'll really enjoy. And without further ado, Joe Biscalia of The Athletic. You've heard him on WGR. You've seen him on WKBW. And you can read all of his work at The Athletic, covering the bills all year round. He's also the co-host of the Buffalo Beat podcast with Matthew Fairburn, and I'd like to welcome Joe Biscalia to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Joe, it is great to finally have you on. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. This is I'm sure we're going to have a lot of fun talking talking all of this stuff. I'm glad football is kind of actually kind of sort of <laughs> coming around the corner here uh, rather than just talking uh, to each other just forever. It seems like at a, a, a long-standing, inf- infinite uh, time-space continuum. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad it's around the corner. Absolutely, we need things like this, don't we? Right. <laughs> so, if this was a normal training camp, I'd go right into asking you questions about fun things like training camp position battles and some okay. sleepers that you can see making the roster. But unfortunately, this will not be a normal training camp because of COVID-19. Um, just today, the Bills sent the rookies home for virtual meetings instead of holding in-person meetings because some players have had some positive COVID tests. Have you heard any more buzz out of one Bills drive about this? Well, no, just uh, the the five players that they added to the reserve uh, COVID-19 list, which um, at this point, are uh, they had a couple of rookies in there. Dane Jackson is their only draft pick the cornerback who is their seventh round pick out of Pittsburgh. He uh, was just added to the list today. Um, perhaps uh, one of the bigger names is, is Saran Neal, who has played some, some reps for the bills. Uh, he was added today as well. He's a big special teams guy for them, but, uh, but, you know, I, I think, I think they're just trying to be smart about it, trying to be a little bit proactive. And if you have a couple of rookies come through and and you add two of them to that to that list, I think it's it's probably a a rather smart idea by McDermott just to go, you know what, let's just take the guesswork out of it and and go on from here and and figure out um, and, and, you know, continue to test these players, of course, but, you know, just not take any chances, especially in the early stages uh, when everyone's kind of coming back and, and then, you know, figuring it out and then, and then go from there. But we've, we've seen a lot of sports kind of have this as they've returned where there's been a few, uh, a handful of tests that are a handful of positive tests that have come back. And basically it's just needing time. Um, and, and that's, that's why this ramp up a period period is so important 
to the Bills, to the rest of the NFL, to make sure that they have a safe environment when they actually do get on the practice field in, uh, uh, you know, just a little bit before mid-August and figuring out exactly what they need to do, who needs to quarantine, uh, continue to test, 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 and then and then go from there. So we've already seen some high-risk and low-risk players opt out of the NFL season, including Bill's starting defensive tackle, Starla Tulele. Now, we're recording this on a Thursday, so anything can change by the time this episode gets published. But do you have any inkling that any other players may opt out from the Bills, or do you think this is all we'll see? I mean, no inkling right now. I mean, uh, Latulale is the only name as of this taping, which is Thursday at Thursday the 30th at 5. Uh, but other than that, uh, I think we could see more just because you're, you're going to see more veterans start to report, start to get to the facilities as they go on. And another important deadline for this is whenever the NFLPA signs the revised collective bargaining agreement that has all of the provisions in there uh, specific to the pandemic and COVID-19 testing and, and everything along those lines. So once, once that gets signed, then you have a week past that for, uh, for all of these official opt-outs that have to come in. But you would anticipate that these players are going to get to their team facilities earlier than that. So uh, I'm not going to say that there isn't going to be more. There, there just isn't any right now. And, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, it was a, a sizable loss, I would say, for them to not have Starla Tulele on, on their team. He's, he's probably their best run defending defensive lineman on, on the team right now. But uh, then again, he is only a two down player. So from there, you have to figure out how you move forward without him, what he does with the salary cap. It's interesting. The salary cap stuff is is the most mind-blowing of all of it. And I had to, you know, really ask about a billion different people. Like, okay, what actually is happening with the salary cap in terms of what gets added to this year, what gets pushed to next year? And, uh, yeah, I, I actually, I just uh, posted an article today about the Latulale stuff with the cap ramifications and um, yeah, that that's over at the athletic if if y'all want to check that out. But yeah, it's it that's the most mind numbing part. That's like the GIF where you see um, all of the different formulas around the guy's face. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Zach Galifianakis, but yeah, that, that's that's basically what it is. Okay, wow. So you know, you mentioned Latulale being you know a two down player. I mean, should it worry Bills fans that he opted out, or should the depth at defensive tackle that Bean has created make fans feel more at ease overall? Yeah, it depends. I mean, he is their best run defender, and I know he's kind of a an easy target for segments of the fan base. And I know a lot of people will go, "Ah, oh, fine, just cut him when when he come back." But <laughs> the Bills love him, and it, they they really believe in Latulale and all of the work that he does, his selflessness as a player. I mean, he doesn't put up jaw-dropping stats or anything like that but when he's on the field the run defense is better because he takes on blockers he takes on multiple blockers at times he he uh clears out space for people and and he uh he he falls he falls on the sword for his teammates so that way they have the room to wiggle around and and to get to the ball carrier he's not a perfect player there's it's not like he's doing this incredibly every single play but he is a, a good starting caliber caliber player that they're going to miss. And now they have to figure out if they do have that depth or specifically if they do have someone on their roster that can fill that role. I mean, there are a few names that 
I'm sure we'll we'll talk about. But Harrison Phillips is the one that's on, I think, a lot of fans' minds just because he was a former draft pick. But he hasn't really uh, shown the Bills that he can be a consistent enough run defender to this point in his career. And that might keep him at bay a little bit. And the, the other option might be Vernon Butler, who kind of splits between three technique and one technique. But is he more of a pass rusher or more of a run defender? So that they're going to have some questions that they need to answer once they get there. So you mentioned how the Bills will save some money in the salary cap. I mean, can you see them adding more depth at defensive tackle because of that? Or maybe even any other position now that they have this money to play with? Well, it's kind of like fool's gold with that money. Because by saving the, let's see, let me, let me get the the actual mark i have it on a spreadsheet here um they're saving about 6.3 million um with star not being on the uh, on the set or as he opted out uh, and pushed his contract down the road but if they were to spend that 6.3 million then that takes away that amount of money that they could have rolled over into next off season and it's vital to roll over that type of cash or that type of cap room into next year because nobody knows what the heck the salary cap uh, maximum is going to look like next year. I know in that uh, provision or that revision that I talked about with within the collective bargain agreement, they set the, the absolute floor of the salary cap, I think at like 175.9 million. But even if it's at that floor, that's still a good 25 million less than what they're working with right now. So the bills are already kind of in a good spot to where I think they're around, you know, maybe before the Latula lay thing, I think they were like maybe only eight or 9 million over that figure. But even still you need to, you need to get that in check. And so that, that way you don't want to spend up to that money just because you have it. It's the same reason why I am of the belief they should cut Trent Murphy just because that could save them upwards of seven plus million that they could roll over to next season and not, not, and this is important, not just to get yourself under the cap, but you have two key free agents coming up next year and Matt Milano and Dion Dawkins. So you want to position yourself in the best way possible. So I'm, I'm of the belief that NFL teams all across the league should be in cost cutting mode and should be bracing themselves for what could be, a pretty bad cap situation next year and making sure that they're not, they're not caught um, losing players that they didn't want to lose. You know, speaking of whipping boys, Trent Murphy is definitely one of those players um, on the team. And and you said, if they, if they cut him, they save all of that money, but with Mm -hmm. everything going on, part of me thinks it might be in their best interest to keep him as long as possible before the regular season to cut him, because you never know who else might get sick or, Whatever right. or what other team you might be able to trade him at some point, you know, for for some value. I mean, what, what do you what do you think when it comes to that? I mean, when you should probably wait as long as possible, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't want to put your put your team in any bad situation because at the end of the day, they still want to win this year, and they have a really good roster to do just that in the in this upcoming season. So it's not a cut Trent Murphy now sort of thing. It's it's a play the game see how it kind of goes along, see if there, if there are injuries, if there are positive tests, um, it, what, whatever ends up happening uh, down the line. But they, they need to make sure that they have themselves covered as much as they can. 
And that way, if it comes down to the final cutdown day, and you have you have eight off defensive linemen that you feel like, okay, they're in a good spot. They've had negative tests. They're they're good in this respect. Uh, we don't feel like our our depth is going to really suffer without having Trent Murphy on there. Then that's the point in which you release him. But that seven plus million dollars is a huge chunk that could go toward a new contract for Milano or Deion Dawkins. So even if they suffer some injuries or some or some positive COVID tests uh, along that defensive line, I, I, if it were me, I would hang on to someone like Mike Love before I would hang on to Trent Murphy to be my fourth uh, rotational defensive end, just because he's cheaper, you know, he's he's younger, and you can you can save all that money because at the end of the day, for me. And this is just me talking, not not to what I think the Bills might do. But if you if you are just keeping Trent Murphy to be your fourth defensive end, and it ends up costing you Matt Milano in the long run, then that to me is not worth it at all. So that's why I would I would continue to kind of turn it out and to save that space. Okay, great. Well, you sold me, Joe. So that's <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that ma- if that matters, but let's uh, let's absolutely get re- <laughs> it does. So I going back to defensive tackle. I know AJ Epinesa primarily played defensive end at Iowa, and that's where a lineup for the most part. But is there a chance that you know the rookie gets more reps at defensive tackle than he normally would with the loss of Latulale? I think the guy that could be on the move more is Jefferson. Uh, honestly, uh, because he has more of a background in flipping between three technique defensive tackle to five technique defensive end to six technique defensive end, which is what the Bills utilize that six technique in their four three looks. Um, so I think he would be the guy. Uh, what I think would end up happening if there are no more injuries or positive tests or anything along those lines, at least to me right now. I would think Harrison Phillips and Vernon Butler would split the reps at one tech. Vernon Butler, the remainder of his reps would come at uh, at three technique backing up um, uh, at Oliver. But also Quinton Jefferson would, would fit in the mix to get some three technique reps as well as some defensive end reps in the rotation. And then just to get him in there. I think Daryl Johnson would be that eighth defensive lineman, at least for me, just because he's a young guy. He showed some potential last year in the preseason. He's he played 66 percent of the team's special team snaps last year. And and to me, I wouldn't risk losing that guy on waivers, especially at a at a difficult to come by position. So I think I think it's Jefferson. Epinesa might figure in inside a little bit on pass rushing downs next to Ed Oliver. But McDermott has always been pretty keen on uh, making it making it so they don't put too much on the rookies' plates too too early, and I think that'll probably be the case with Epinesa as well. Okay, great. So the NFL and the NFLPA agreed to add six more practice squad spots to NFL rosters this season, including four protected spots. Is that enough, in your opinion, with everything going on? Um, I think it's a good amount. Uh, it's great for young players. I mean, I was actually talking to an agent and he made the point to me. He's like, there, there is no better year than this year for late round picks and young guys to make it and stick for a full season because for, for a lot of different reasons, I mean, you have 
the 53-man roster, of course. You have the opt-outs, which creates more spaces. You have positive tests, potentially. Um, and then you have the 16 practice squad spots. And you have fewer spots on the roster to begin with at 80. So each team is only doing away with 11 spots. And there, there might be an overall hesitance of people like trying to – or teams – trying to call people in to come work out because you, you just want to be safe above all else. So there, there's a, there's a lot at stake for these guys. So I, I think the 16 is a good thing um, because it gives more guys chances. And I was kind of surprised that they, that they didn't at least consider um, raising the limits on the active roster. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose the, having the protected spots, is basically their way of doing that without changing the provisions in the in the CBA completely. So I get it from that perspective. But um, but yes, it, I, I think I think it's a good thing. As many players as they can have to try and figure out how to get through this season, and I'm sure the potential pitfalls that await the NFL throughout the, as the year goes. Uh, is, is a good thing. So yeah, yeah, I, I think I think 16 is a good number, but I guess it's a wait and see, just like the rest of the season, right? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Have you already started to think of which rookies or vets would be candidates for those four protected spots on the on the Bills practice squad? I mean, I could see one already with like Jake Fromm, right, as the third quarterback instead of instead of uh, having yeah. to decide between Matt Barkley and Jake Fromm, you you can protect him. I mean, that's to say if they if they just don't keep all three on the active roster to begin with, which mm-hmm. I think is, which there's a chance there too. So that would put Davis Webb in the equation for me because he was someone that spent the entire year um, on the practice squad with the Bills or most of the year, I should say uh, on the Bills practice squad, learning Brian Dable's offense. And that could be a, a, a break glass in, in case of emergency type of guy. Um, and then you have some receivers who are familiar with the system like Robert Foster, I could see being one of those guys. Duke Williams, same kind of deal. Or if, or if they try and sneak one of their late round rookies like Isaiah Hodgins or Dane Jackson through waivers, I could see those, those two guys uh, being in the mix there. I would not be shocked if, uh, if an offensive lineman gets one of those protected spots too, just because uh, Brandon Bean likes to hoard offensive linemen. I don't know if you've seen, if you, <laughs> if you've discovered this over the past few years, yeah. but. Having the gumption to flip Wyatt Teller, um, let's see, who's the, who's the other one? Uh, Russell Bodine and Marshall Newhouse for draft picks <laughs> by the end of the summers. Yeah. Uh, there, there's, there's a bit of a market there, and he likes to exploit that. So I would assume he'll use one of those four spots, maybe on like a, a Ryan Bates or an Ike Butker, um, Trey Adams, if he doesn't make the team. Uh, if any of those three guys don't make the team, I think they're, they're definite candidates. Okay, great. So, all right, Joe, so let's pretend that COVID-19 isn't the biggest headline right now. This is a normal mm. training camp. Uh, what's one positional battle in training camp that you'll be watching closely? Man, I think it would, prob- it would probably, just from a, a positional like roster battle standpoint, I think wide receiver is super compelling just because they actually have depth this year. Um, and they have legitimate players that are going to be released by the end of it all. You have... You have four players who I think are locks, which are, uh, I mean, obviously the top three, Stephon Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis is a fourth round pick. They're not going to cut him unless he's just absolutely horrible. 
which, and even if he's absolutely horrible, they still probably wouldn't cut him. Andre Roberts is close to a lock for me just because they really liked him as a return man last year. Um, and so that, that would make it five. And then the question becomes, okay, what happens? Do they keep six or do they try and figure out a, a position where they can keep a seventh um, and, and kind of skimp on another position elsewhere? So then that becomes the Robert Foster, Isaiah Hodgins, Isaiah McKenzie, Duke Williams question. If it were me, I think they probably keep six and choose one out of those four guys, probably with Foster and Duke Williams on on the outside looking in. And then it comes down to Isaiah McKenzie against Isaiah Hodgins. Uh, but you could also talk me into because of how how much Brian Dable utilized Isaiah McKenzie last year uh, for him to be on the team and then try and figure out a way to sneak a seventh player on there. Because I don't know that they want to subject Isaiah Hodgins to waivers. I suppose we'll see. But yeah, that, there's there's so many different ways you can you can slice slice and dice the wide receiver room. And then there's always the possibility that Robert Foster wakes up, and they would love to see that. It would make their uh, their lives more difficult. But they, I mean, he is someone that they believed in well enough to insert him into the starting lineup at the end of the 2018 season. He had a nice little run there. And then he basically fell off the face of the earth this year, this past year, and had had no receptions. So I think I think for them, they just want to see it and then and then make a decision from there. Do you have any sleepers like some late round rookies or draft picks from last year that can make the 53 man roster this season? I mean, just coming to mind, maybe like a Voshan, Voshan Joseph or something like that. Yeah, I, I think I think Voshan will, will make the team uh, there. Brandon Bean's usually not in the business of cutting his draft picks from the first five rounds within the first couple of years. Uh, he traded away Wyatt Teller, which was the only one of those guys that he has done away with. Uh, I mean, he even has trouble uh, getting rid of his six-round picks. I mean, he he was obsessed with Ray Ray McLeod for a long time, and and he, he finally just released him. So long. Um, but. Yeah, but that's that's the, that's Bean's philosophy. Like he he believes in drafting and developing, and he doesn't want to give up too prematurely on a guy, uh, and then having that guy go on and be successful elsewhere because he was too impatient. And I, I can I can see the the valor in that. So I think Boshan Joseph will will make the team. Some other guys that uh, I think Dane Jackson has a really good shot to to crack this team. Uh, I mean, he was their seventh round pick, but I think he's got some flexibility to play both outside and at slot um so that, that's someone to keep an eye on uh let's see it, this is a pretty straightforward team this year honestly mm-hmm. um let, let's see I'm, I'm just looking at my my headshot depth chart mm-hmm. right now well you mentioned trey, trey adams yep. might, i was just gonna say yeah, trey, trey adams yeah trey adams might be a guy um but he it, after watching his film he, he doesn't move particularly well and I wonder if the speed of the game with only a, a two week wind up to um, to the actual regular season. I wonder if uh, he'll have enough time to actually make the team. But then there's also this element, which I haven't thought too much about. And I'm glad we're discussing this because now that now I am um, there is the idea that there's no preseason games. So how the heck are other teams going to scout these guys that they've never seen in an NFL uniform before? Uh-huh. Uh, unless unless you're making your practices online and public, but 
that almost feels like a competitive disadvantage for some teams. I mean, it's, I, I know the Browns are doing it and, but you know who else besides the fans are going to be watching those practices? Every other team in the league <laughs> yep. to, to figure out who can play on your team and who they might be able to snap up on waivers. So if I was an NFL team, I wouldn't, I wouldn't broadcast those practices, which probably is unpopular, but that's just, that's just a competitive advantage thing. So yeah. it, it might give you an opportunity to sneak another guy on waivers that maybe you thought you couldn't if there was a preseason. Okay. So so let's talk about, you know, uh, the Bills' depth in general. Because in an article you wrote back in May at The Athletic, you listed the Bills' biggest needs following the draft and free agency. And first you listed guard and interior offensive linemen. Is that still the mm-hmm. biggest need going into training camp? Because you just mentioned a few players that could easily they could trade because they're so deep at it or are they just are they just missing you know the really elite uh offensive linemen guards and interior offensive linemen there yeah i well, i mean morse is is more than solid he's completely changed the complexion of that offensive line for them but uh at guard position at the guard position in particular i think they can stand to upgrade there and i thought that they could have if just by sliding cody ford inside i've long been a cody ford is a guard uh member um, but you know, and they've just got to kind of see if he can play tackle before anything. But now I, I don't think John Policiano is a bad player by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely struggled in the second half of the season and you have to wonder how much of that was due to the fact that he needed surgery immediately after the season ended. Uh, Quentin Spain to me is average to slightly above average, which is good enough, but you could have stand, stood to upgrade at that spot. It's a good baseline to have. I mean, it, I, he didn't give up a sack last year, but he gave up a lot of pressures last year. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the run game, he's not super quick when he goes to pull, and that's a big part of Brian Dable's offense. So to me, having more of an athletic, versatile offensive left guard to be able to do that would have been an upgrade there. So if they can find that... Um, in the next off season, that would be great. But this could be a completely different discussion based on what happens with Cody Ford, because if Cody Ford doesn't have the type of season that they want to see at right tackle, then they could move him to right guard. They could re-sign John Feliciano and, and have him compete with Spain at left guard. And Feliciano has played left guard quite a bit in the NFL. So it, this could be a, a different talk once uh, once next offseason comes along but yeah i think right now that's that's one of the bigger spots so you mentioned quinn spain allowing a lot of pressures but not but not any sacks which he which he seems to to say a lot in on social media um and i've seen some clips you know of the 2019 season and to me sometimes i, I think the offensive line is is decent not great i think i think that they're better than they were in 2018 because they were abysmal so sometimes we think that they're really good, but really they're just better than terrible. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but um, I think so, sometimes it appears Josh Allen makes that offensive line look better than it really is. Do you you watch a lot of tape? Do you ever get that feeling as well? Yeah, perfect assessment. Honestly, I mean that's that's it to a T. I mean, it couldn't have gotten much worse along the offensive line if if they didn't have Deion Dawkins to kind of steady the ship. And he wasn't even good in 2018. Um, he, he was he was like average to slightly above average and sometimes below average. If they didn't have him, that might have been one of the worst offensive lines I've ever seen. Um, because 
their center position was horrid from game one to game 16, whether it was Bodine or Ryan Groy. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a fire every single week. And you, you had to, you had to feel for whichever quarterback was lining up behind center because there was a good chance there's pressure coming through if they're dropping back to pass. Then the guard play was not great. Um, I think Jordan Mills was still starting at that point. I don't even remember that. That's how long ago it <laughs> yeah. was. It feels anyway, yeah. but they, they have upgraded at most spots. Um, the right tackle is probably still on par to where it was in 2018, but they have the potential for growth with Cody Ford there, but the guard play is better. I mean, Deion Dawkins was a borderline star to me this year. Um, this, this past season, he was, he made such a jump in my mind and that's why they need to do everything they can to resign him, at least in my view. Um, and of course, Mitch Morse was huge to them, but to your point, which is the right one, just because it was better doesn't mean it was great. A lot of times it was average. And that's why I'm talking about the guard play as much as I am like Quentin Spain, good enough, good baseline starter. Can you do better? Yep. Can you do worse? Yep. Do you want to do better? Absolutely, you do. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why I think uh, the, the offensive line play might become a little bit more of a focal point for folks this year because now we're removed from 2018, and I think there's going to be a little bit more pressure on that offensive line to be above the standard of suck that they were in 2018. <laughs> Well put, well put. Thank you. I, <laughs> so uh, here's a position that I've been thinking about a lot lately that never really gets um, brought up in, you know, either in the media or even, you know, among the fan base, to be quite honest, is the tight end position. And I think it severely lacks not only depth, but starter potential at this moment, at least. Now, right now, you have, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> No, no, no. You, you. I, I, I want to hear what you have to say. So, so Tyler Croft, we have who we know he has he has a lot of injury. I mean, we saw last year he was injured for most of the season, and so we can't really count on him necessarily. He's he's the only real true veteran potential number one um, tight end that we have on the roster. Next, you have Dawson Knox, who's very athletically gifted. Um, but super raw. He had lots of drop issues last season and only started playing tight end in college, which he didn't get a lot of receptions in college. So, I mean, you're talking about a position that traditionally takes several years in the NFL to acclimate to. So I don't know how much we can truly expect from Dawson Knox in year number two. I mean, and then after that, you have Lee Smith, which, you know, he is what he is and probably won't ever be an all around tight end. And then you have Tommy Sweeney, Sweeney, who was just placed on the PUP. And not for nothing, he's a seventh round pick. You know, he was probably a seventh round pick for a reason. And then you have Jason Kroom, who has also had injury issues and he's buried on the depth chart. And, you know, I don't think, I don't know if we'll ever be a, he'll ever be a second or third string uh, tight end at this point. I mean, do you see it the way I see it or are you more optimistic about the position group as a whole? I, I am more optimistic about the top of the position position group. Um, I think Lee Smith is fine um, just as a blocking tight end, essentially a sixth offensive lineman anytime he traps out out of the field. Uh, I think the penalty problems that everyone kind of like, why is he taking so many penalties? It was an anomaly of a season for him in, in penalties. And I would expect him to have a regression to the mean of, you know, two to three penalties next year. Uh, based on how often he's actually on the field. Uh, the Croft one is a, a, a good point. I mean, he's he's been struggling with injuries a lot over the past few years. 
and he's nothing more than a backup level tight end. But the the one big area I'll disagree is with Dawson Knox because when when you go and watch the things that he can do on a field, you're like, okay, there there are not a lot of tight end prospects or tight ends, young tight ends, that have the all around abilities and potential that he flashes. And of course they are flashes and he has to become more consistent. You, you pointed out he has those, those drops. He needs to get those out of his system. The concentration drops cannot be a part of, a part of his game at, by any stretch of the imagination. However, the reason why I am so bullish on Dawson Knox and why I think he's not getting nearly the amount of publicity that he should, even in the fantasy football community, I've got a few woe stats for you. Last year, 13 of Dawson Knox's 28 receptions went for 15 yards or more. Seven of those went for 20 yards or more. Of the tight ends in the NFL with at least 15 catches last season, he averaged 13.99 yards per catch, which was the third highest in the league. He gained 37% of his 388 yards after the catch, which was around the same clip as guys like Austin Hooper, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, and Zach Ertz. So not to say that he's going to extrapolate this into um, once he gets more opportunities, but this is also a player that was only on the field 60% of offensive snaps last year. So if that goes up, especially with more chances, ideally, if Stefan Diggs is attracting attention from the opposing defense, there are going to be more opportunities on the field for him and Josh Allen also likes throwing to his tight ends. We, we've seen that over the last couple of seasons. Plus, Knox can stay on the field because he's already an above-average blocker, so he can be a three-down guy. I'm I'm quite optimistic about uh, Dawson Knox's potential. I think he could develop into something, into a, one of the, the better tight ends that have come through Buffalo, but he's not a finished product just yet. There are flashes. He needs to improve upon them, and if he does they might be onto something. Okay, great. Well, you know what? I I, I can see that. I, I'm, I'm really hoping that this is a big jump for him in this uh, in season number two, and I hope that nobody from my fantasy football league is listening to this podcast because <laughs> I've totally taken him in the draft now. So, so let's go into the media in general. I mean, everyone talks about how coronavirus is affecting the players and training camp, but no one discusses the media like yourself and how it will affect you covering the team. I mean, the media is really sometimes the only connection that us fans have to the coaching staff, front office, and players. Could you let the listeners know what will change for you this coming camp compared to other previous training camps? Well, what will change are a few different things. One, I cannot walk inside the building at at One Bills Drive at any point in time. Um, uh, The only practices. I will be allowed to attend during training camp will be ones that are held outdoors. So I'm very much keeping my fingers crossed for good weather every single practice day. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) uh, Other than that, uh, in years past, we have been able to roam the sidelines and pretty much go walk wherever we want, just as long as we're like not on the field or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now we're going to be confined to a specific spot. So I need to make sure to, order a pair of binoculars from Amazon before training camp gets going. Um, But other than that, uh, there are no in-person interviews of any kind. uh, And so all of those will be conducted on Zoom or via phone call, things of that nature. So 
that kind of rapport that you get from having a face-to-face conversation with a player, that's going to be a challenge because you're going to have a computer screen in front of you and there, there's going to be a, a very obvious um, disconnect there just because you're not getting uh, getting the nonverbal cues from from the other person to where you might get someone to open up or have an, a more open line of communication. So that part of it changes a little bit. But in terms of training camp practice practices, I mean, I was kind of talking about this with my editor. I don't, th- this might be the most heavily anticipated training camp going because there isn't a preseason. And a lot of times when you have a preseason game, like the first week or so of training camp, every fan all in reading every single thing that every single word that they can about the team. And once, once the first preseason game hits and fans start to see the team, I mean, they still go back and and read training camp uh, recaps and everything along those lines and observations, but it's not quite the same this year. There's no preseason game. There's like a shroud of secrecy over what training camp will be this year. So I, I, I would argue that makes my job in trying to, um, bring to the fans what uh, uh, what is going on at practice and everything that that uh, encapsulates that more important this summer than ever so uh, because there's going to be such a such a push for any and all information about this team and so I'm actually really looking forward to that once we actually get out there. Okay, great. Well, what about the future? I mean, normally the media travels with the team to and from away games. Will you be traveling to away games? Do you even want to? Do you have any idea yet? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a fair question. And no, I don't. I I have no idea. Um, I think we have to wait for word from the Bills, from the NFL. My anticipation would be probably not travel, especially if they uh, wind up doing something along the lines of flying in day of game, flying out night of game. I mean, what, what is the purpose of being at the games? If there are no in-person interviews, anything along those lines, everything's just kind of done over zoom. Um, I suppose if you're like a TV station and you want like um, on the field highlights or, or, or something like that, that could be an Avenue, but it's, is it necessary travel? Would it be doing it? at the risk of people's safety, things like that. So that that's something that I think every media organization has to consider. I think the, the NFL is considering, and I'm sure once uh, once we get closer to the actual season, we'll start to hear more protocols because, uh, quite honestly, I mean, I know you're probably doing it with your job. Um, everybody listening is probably doing it with their job. It's just to figure it out as you go. And, and because no one really knows what, what the next month holds, what the next week holds. So you just have to kind of be fluid and, and be respectful, be safe, everything along those lines and, and then figure it out as you go. So, so true. So true. Well, this will be my last specific question about the bills. And I I wanted to ask your opinion on Brian Dable. Because I know Josh and a lot of the other players, they love Brian Dable as a coach. They, they talk about him as Dave's, and they've got nothing but but uh, glowing remarks for you know their offensive coordinator. But in your film mm-hmm. study, do you believe that the offense's lack of success since he's been here? And I'm just going by statistics as far as points for and you know uh, yeah. yardage and, and stuff like that, where he's in the bottom half of the league. You know, is the offense's lack of success since he's been here attributed to his game planning? 
or lack of execution by players or both? Um, I think lack of execution takes a, a big chunk of this, uh, and it and it should, because in 2018, he just he just didn't have the people that he needed to to be a, a, a remotely successful offense. I mean, start with that offensive line we, we were talking about a few minutes ago. I mean, that's that's as much of a detractor to offensive success than anything. Then last year, excuse me, there, there was still a lot of moving pieces where they were trying to figure it out. It was basically a brand new offense last year. And I felt in November and certainly a little bit into December, they started to hit their stride when they put a heavy emphasis on Devin Singletary and the 11 personnel. I mean, everyone remembers the Thanksgiving game against the Cowboys, but that was one of their best offensive outputs uh, of the year. And and that November was such a good run for that offense. So I think his concepts are good. The way that he studies opponents is really good. And I don't think uh, gets enough credit. A lot of times they just haven't had the players capable of executing the game plans that they needed to. But you see Dable do stuff that not a lot of offensive coordinators do, which you know, sometimes you see offensive coordinators uh, get into one personnel grouping or, you know, they go three wide receiver, one running back, one tight end. And then that's what they're in for the majority of the game. But Dable, a lot of times he will switch it up wholesale and do like hockey style changes where he's got five new skill players or four to five new skill players in from snap to snap. And I know because. Um, during the games, I'm psychotic and I, and I track snap counts. Mm-hmm. So, and it is, and he makes it a hell of a time on me so from, <laughs> from snap to snap uh, mm-hmm. during some games. So I, I think his concepts are good. The way he studies films or film is good and identifying weaknesses of teams. I do think sometimes he tries to, he, he overthinks it um, in specific situations, but uh, I think a lot of that is still trying to figure himself as a play caller with with this quarterback and and this offensive group. So I, I, I think I think Dable is is a solid offensive coordinator. Do they need a jump in production this year? Absolutely, they do, and he's gonna he's gonna take that head on. But um, I, I was not in camp. They should get rid of Brian Dable. I think he's he's uh, promising, and he has uh, specific things that that he does that that I think are good from a from a theoretical standpoint. Now it's just about the execution from a week-to-week basis. So I didn't mention this before, but this was an interview that I'm splitting into two parts. The first part was relevant specifically to training camp and everything to get you ready for that opening up this week. The second part, which I'll release next week, was inspired by the Nick and Nolan podcast. When they were in Buffalo last summer... They visited with several different Bills media members like Marcel Louis-Jacques, Matt Perino, and Tim Graham, and talked about their careers in journalism and other facets of their lives that, you know, they weren't really specifically having to do with the Bills. So the Dan and Buckets podcast had Joe on right after the draft, and even though I mentioned that I followed Joe since he was on WGR, they asked a lot of questions that I honestly didn't know about Joe. And a lot of you may know that he grew up in Buffalo and went to St. Francis High School and graduated from Buff State, but he grew up a Bills fan, right? Right. I mean, didn't he? <laughs> but what about going from WKBW to The Athletic? What was what was the driving force there? I mean, what's it like 
being called out by Bills players in interviews and over social media for the articles you've written. I mean, actually, our own Bruce exclusive, we know a little bit about that. But, you know, we get into some really fun topics, personal topics with Joe B. Um, So please check that out next week uh, while we're on vacation from the podcast. So uh, we'll talk to you a couple weeks after that. But um, if for some reason you aren't following Joe Biscalia on Twitter, please find him at Joe Biscalia. Uh, Biscalia is spelled B-U-S-C-A-G-L-I-A. His podcast uh, is The Buffalo Beat, and it's available everywhere. It's with Matthew Fairburn, and it's a must-listen for all Bills fans out there. Uh, we've had Matthew on several times, and we just loved his conversation, our conversations with him as well. Um, but we are going to do a, a giveaway this podcast. We haven't done that in a while. And, uh, and it's about, it's about darn time. You know what I'm saying? Like, so if you, if you're new to our podcast or, you know, you haven't been listening since last season, we try to do giveaways during the season. And really the, the, the season is almost here, right? I mean, we're hoping it's almost here. The season is almost here. And the, the, the one thing we're giving away that we've been, um, trying to give away since last season, earlier in the season is this Donovan McNabb signed football. So uh, first question you probably have if you're new to the podcast is how do you win uh, one of these things? Because, you know, this is this is uh, a signed Donovan McNabb uh, football, but we also have some Bills jerseys available, some mini signed footballs, some signed helmets, and there's a lot of different things. We're actually uh, going to do a giveaway this week with a partner uh, of ours that we met over Twitter. And uh, so, so if you're not following us on Twitter, at CTWPod, like Circling the Wagons Pod, uh, please follow us there, and you'll find out about that this week. And it's a really cool. It is a really cool jersey. I mean, it's some. It's one that we don't have in stock, and it's probably one of the, if not the most premier jersey out there to buy as a Bills fan. It it's probably number one or number two. So um, you'll have to check us out on Twitter for that. But if you're wondering how you can get into the running for any of the giveaways we're going to do on our podcast, there's a couple of things. First thing you have to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, in, in your review, somewhere on Apple Podcasts, just mention CTW Pod or Circling the Wagons Podcast, somewhere in that. Now, you feel free, for sure, to mention any of the other podcasts on our great network, uh, because they're all doing a tremendous job. We just added the Buff Hub this past weekend. Um, Steve does an amazing job. Uh, we, you obviously have Believe, the Bruce Exclusive, uh, Buffalo uh, Breaking Buffalo Rumblings with Anthony, uh, Rumblings Q&A with... Matt, uh, there's just a lot of great talent on this on this uh, podcast. Part of me wonders how I got on there, but um, so so write us in uh, in a review. Uh, just mention us somewhere along there, and you're automatically entered into a running for one of these items. And the other thing is, if we do announce you, you have to listen to find out if you won. Because if if you don't respond to me via email, via Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, then it goes on to the next week and then another person gets a chance to win it. But if part of you is wondering, well, I don't really care about a Donovan McNabb signed uh, football, uh, that's okay because you can win this one and then still win later on. You'll never be taken out of the running as long as we're doing giveaways, which we're going to be doing giveaways throughout the entire season. So um, please make sure you're part of that. Leave us a review if you could um, through Apple Podcasts. And uh, yeah, like I said, this Donovan McNabb signed football giveaway is from our friends at Del Lago Casino and Resort. Um, looking forward to hopefully visiting them sometime this season, um, you know, if, if things clear up a little bit. But the winner for this for this item is Boozy Bills Babe. So she had her review handle is Boozy Bills Babe. So please uh, message us either through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, email us ctwpod at gmail.com. 
and we will send that item out to you guys. So, like I mentioned before, we have more giveaways uh, now that the season can finally be seen over the horizon. Make sure to check out our T Public store for all Bill's designs on uh, face coverings and masks, uh, T-shirts, tank tops, maybe even hoodies. Maybe you're thinking about hoodie weather already. Um, that's at tpublic.com slash stores slash ctwpod. And uh, like I mentioned, we have OJ Simpson uh, designs. We have a Josh Allen jumping over the haters design, which is our most popular. We have a Sean McDermott trust the process design, which is very popular as well. All of our circling the wagons or circle the wagons uh, logos that we have on there. You can find there. We, we, uh, we're working with a number of different artists within T public to share their designs on our store. So you can purchase all of their stuff on our store as well and find their, their cool designs on our store. Well, again, check all those designs out. Let us know what you think. Um, what someone actually, uh, messaged me over Facebook and was like, Hey, just so you know, the bill, this, uh, the circling the wagons, uh, iPhone cover, design actually goes into the camera so could you move that down i said oh i had no idea like i thought it was fine so i went into the t public side i went to the, to the designer portal and i moved down the logo so that it wasn't covering the camera i think it was either the circling the wagons podcast logo or the trust the process i can't remember but anyway check those out again again tpublic.com slash stores slash ctw pod if you have any questions about training camp that you'd like to discuss in the podcast Please DM us over Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We are on every social media platform at ctwpod, like circling the wagons pod. Or you can email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. We have a ton of questions to answer already when we get back from vacation. But if you have a better question, then I'll just throw out one of those crappy ones, okay? How does that sound? Sound good? So for me, Nate... Thanks again to the amazing Joe Biscalia for coming on and talking with us. Go Bills. Have a great week. I look forward to talking with you in a couple weeks after part two of our Joe B interview. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, Go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills.